When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, we'll talk about the team presentation at Di Maro on Saturday. In part two, we'll talk about the friendly against Perugia on Sunday. And in part three, we'll talk about the press conference with Cristiano Giuntoli on Monday. I'm joined by a guest to help me with all of that. He is certainly no stranger to the podcast. Daniel Bowen, welcome back. Joe, my man, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm a lot more energized, I think, than you are because you've been doing a lot of traveling <laughs> over the last couple of days. You rushed back just to come on the pod, so that's, that's great. I really appreciate that. You were a guest on the Napoli rant with Raf and Raf on Monday. So apologies to the listeners of both shows. It might be a little bit repetitive, but we're still going to give a different perspective. And that was a great show, by the way. I highly recommend that everyone check those guys out, especially the last episode that features our boy Dan. The reason we wanted to have you on both shows is because you were at Di Maro over the weekend. So how long were you there for? Uh, it was actually a real quick trip. I got there on Saturday morning, got there on Saturday morning and left Monday morning. So just two full days, really. So were you at the presentation on Saturday evening then? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I really wish I didn't go, to be honest. It yeah. was depressing. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that and then we'll talk about the match in part two. So the presentation was at the Piazza Madonna della Pace. And it started with Spalletti giving some opening remarks, and it probably wasn't the best idea for him to list off all the players who have already left the club. And to make matters worse, Spalletti included Dries Mertens in the list of players who he said have gone. Do you take that as confirmation that we are just not going to reach an agreement with Mertens on a new contract? Or do you think it's still possible to get a deal done? I think it's always possible just because it is, you know, one of the sons of Napoli. So I haven't given up hope, 
But uh, after Spalletti said that, everybody looked at each other in the piazza. Hey, Matt, what did you call the piazza again? At least from what I read online, it was the Piazza Madonna della Pace. There was no Pace. <laughs> no, yeah, well, you could see that even in the videos. There was a <laughs> lot of hostility. It was, there were a lot of awkward yeah. moments, for sure. For me, I think, until we see an official announcement or official farewell from the club, or maybe even a, an official announcement from another club who may have signed Mertens, then I agree, I think... <laughs> it's still possible to get a deal done. And I suspect that the club is intentionally taking it slowly because there are other negotiations happening at the same time. Now, obviously that's risky because at any point in time, Mertens can sign with another club, but looking at how we've handled the Mercato so far, I don't think Napoli, unfortunately would be too upset if that happened. Cause then what they'll do is, and we've seen this with the other players who have departed, they'll turn and, make it seem like it was the player who decided to go somewhere else and that, well, we gave him an offer and he decided to go somewhere else. We saw that with Insigne, we saw that with Koulibaly, we saw that with Ospina, and we could see that happen with Mertens. As you said, there wasn't a whole lot of peace at the presentation. There were chants when, I guess, at some point, um, after it was after the team had been presented and they were trying to get the fans riled up, so... Tommy Stadichet went on the stage and started dancing a little bit. So naturally, right away, all the fans started chanting for Mertens because they know, you know, how close they are. Now, I think we should probably commend Spalletti for going up there and taking one for the team. This team presentation, it's something that they do every year at the Maro, and I think it's supposed to be just something to give back to the fans that, that attended the event. The problem is... So far, or at least at that point in time, we had only had two incoming players, which were Oliveira and Kabaraskelia, but we had four or five departing players. Like I said, Spalletti mentioned the departures of Ospina, Gulam, Kulibali, Mertens, and Insigne. So naturally, you know, the fans are, are looking for explanations. On top of that, you look at the players that we have or had at the model. We have Primavera players. We've got guys that have just returned from loan spells that are probably going to be loaned out again. So it doesn't help that when you're presenting the team, which is what this event is, you're you're rolling out guys like Davide Costanzo, Nikita Contini, Davide Marfella, you know, Karim Zedadka, Michael Foloruncho. That's a, a pretty hard sell. But as Spalletti said, players will be coming in. We'll talk more about that in part three. But let's continue with the, the team presentation a little bit. So the players are brought out one at a time. Some got bigger ovations than others. It seemed like Mario Rui got a good ovation. Oliveira, mm-hmm. Deme, just because his name is Diego, everyone started chanting Diego. Osimen got a nice ovation. Decibel Bellini, who hosted the event, introduced Di Lorenzo as the captain. So that was cool to see. And that's pretty much been confirmed on the various social media accounts as well. He also asked Juarez Helia to say his name. Which I have to say, it's starting to get a little bit annoying. Calcio Napoli 24 posted a video of him saying his name during the broadcast of one of the training sessions at Di Mauro. Then he was asked to say his name at the press conference on Friday. And then again, Bellini asked him to say his name at the team presentation. So I think we've asked him enough times how you say your name. We can move on from that one. And, you know, we all have our nicknames and, and that's good enough. Anyhow, after all the players were presented, then the mayor of Di Mauro Folgarida, Andrea Lazzaroni, gave a short speech. 
And when he thanked the De Laurentiis family, the fans let their opinions be known. And <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you were letting your opinion be known. Now, De Laurentiis arrived at the model on Thursday, and he's basically been in hiding ever since. So what did you make of his absence from the team presentation? So honestly, I expected it just because I knew that there was going to be protests, but I did not expect him not to show up for the friendly on, on Sunday. I really thought he would be there for that, even if he wasn't really out in the field and, you know, looking back at the crowd. Like, so his, his son was there, Edo was there, and uh, Edo always does that. And for this one, man, he stayed hidden. He stayed under the tent didn't come out and really let the crowd see him because the way Demato is set up, the crowd can't really see anybody that are underneath the tents down there. They can only really see the field. So he was able to stay hidden that way. If he didn't stay hidden, I guarantee you that there would have been mad heckling and whistling and all that. So I'm actually glad that he did that because it's Ed Doe, man. I mean, what does he even do? He's just hanging around. He doesn't really do anything. So Yeah, yeah I don't think it, it would have just... been fair for him to take the bullet either. No, I, mean, I, no. I don't know if you saw him there, but he was actually at the team presentation as well. But he kind of did the same thing. He was sort of, you see it from the cameras from the broadcast, but in person it may have been difficult. But he was sort of in the backstage area where all the players came out from. And he kind of did the same thing. He just stayed back there. He didn't didn't show his face. Now, Napoli fans are pretty divided on De Laurentiis at the moment, but I think all Napoli fans agreed that De Laurentiis, the father, ought to have been there, if not for the team presentation, then, as you said, for the match. And instead, he let Spalletti take one for the team, which I think is why Spalletti told Juntoli to do the conference on Monday, because he's probably tired of being questioned of all this stuff. Plus, most of the questions at this time of the year are transfer-related anyway, so it just makes sense for Juntoli to field those questions. Juntoli said on Monday that De Laurentiis has not come out because they have a lot of work to do, which is, I think, a pretty lame excuse. <laughs> How long does it take to show your face for five minutes and address the fans, right? So it's pretty clear to me that they're aware of the fans' frustration and they're just kind of cowering rather than owning up to it. Yeah, I agree, Joe. Um, sometimes you just got to have the courage to... So a lot of it is from emotions, right? Like, I think a lot of people are more emotional than they are logical about what's going on. Um, I'll admit that my emotions get the best of me sometimes and... ADL just, he needs to understand that and he needs to talk and he needs to say something about why he's made the decisions that he's made without dogging the players like he normally will do. He'll say something bad about the players. You know, he never wants to take ownership for the decisions that he's made, whether they're, you know, everybody's good decision in their frame of mind and their opinion or not. It's always his decision. So don't try to put it back on the players like he seems to try to do all the time with, with that one thing that he said with uh, Mertens and Koulibaly, you know, wanting to go get the vile money. I mean, those comments, man, that he makes, what do you expect, man? The fans are not going to react to that. Even the fans that support ADL, 
like in general, they don't even like those things that he says. So I think the fans deserve to listen to him talk about what's going on with the current state of the club. And he needs to address the fact that he said that he wants to bring a Scudetto to Napoli. For the first time, he's really said that. So he needs to explain what that really means. What is his project? What is he doing to actually make those moves to bring a Scudetto to Napoli, man? You can't just say that stuff, man. You've got to take the actions and you've got to talk about those things that you're doing. And I think he doesn't realize that by staying quiet, he's actually making it worse. Because, yeah. I mean, yes, he's going to get booed when he goes up on stage. There's there's no denying that. Like, people started booing just at the mention of his name. Fine. But you go up there, you take your beating, you address the fans, you tell them, look, I understand everyone's anxious. We've lost a lot of our big players or a lot of our fan favorites but we do have plans. We're working on signings, trust in the club. We've done this before. We did this in 2012, 2013. We did it again a few years later. We're going to do it again, right? Just that. How long did that take me? 30 seconds? I think that would have at least, you know, fans would have booed and they would have said you're full of it and whatever. But I think it might have still at least, you know, some fans might have still appreciated that and, and felt like, they've been given at least an answer. Maybe they don't agree with it. Maybe they don't believe it, but they got something. But just staying quiet and not even showing your face, to me, that just makes the whole thing worse. Yep, yep, for sure. I mean, and even he didn't have to do it all by himself. He could have been up there with Spalletti and Di Lorenzo or, you know, maybe even Victor Oziman or, say, a Diego Deme or, or somebody that Mario Rui a player or two that connects with the fans, Spalletti, him. Man, dude, the tension right now is is higher than it's ever been with him as the owner. And I don't expect him to try to address everything by himself, but I expect him to be part of that. And he has done nothing. He hasn't said a word. Yeah, and another thing that he could have done was – okay, fine, you don't want to do it at the team presentation in front of all these fans, then do it at one of the press conferences where you kind of control the reaction because it's only media there, but the fans fans get to see you, and then you don't get as much of the backlash, at least not live. Mm -hmm. You're going to get it online or whatever. So, yeah, again, staying quiet is not a good strategy in my opinion. I do want to quickly touch on something that you addressed with the Raf and Raf boys on, on their show, which is that I think it's important for fans to also realize, especially in the social media age and, and Raf, both Raf's talked about this as well, that, you know, we have a tendency to put people in buckets and they tend to be very extreme. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, <laughs> if you support an ADL in any way, then you're, an ADL loyalist is the term that Raf Biz used and otherwise, or, or you're anti ADL. I think it is possible to agree with some things and to disagree with others. And that's perfectly normal. It's something that, you know, we can have dialogue about and we don't need to put people in buckets. So like I said, I think, you know, everybody agrees that he needs to address the fans. You may have different opinions on his transfer strategy and his treatment of players at the end of their careers and sort of legendary players. Totally fine. But 
let's not put people in buckets and assume, you know, what their opinions are. And, and also let's not say people's opinions are wrong because by definition, opinion is not wrong. It's just an opinion. (laughs) That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about the friendly against Perugia on Sunday. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. That helps us to improve the show. But if you can't, that's okay too. All the content remains free for everyone. All right, so let's get to the friendly next. Then before we get to the match itself, what was the atmosphere like at the Carciato field? Uh, in general, it was good. I think there was a little bit of uh, anxiety with them, maybe not scoring a few more goals and letting that one goal in. I think that maybe that contributed to some anxiety, but it wasn't exaggerated. I don't have any concerns that the fans are concerned about the way they performed. I think there was moments that the fans were really excited about different combinations in the first half, like that goal from Kavara, when he linked up with Oziman, that was that was really nice to see. One thing that I, I tried to really pay attention to is the reactions that Chucky Lozano was getting. And, man, I don't know if it's real yet. So he was actually more supported than I thought he would be. Like, especially when he was coming off the field. And you hear it a lot of, you know, chookies and stuff like that. And no, no bad comments or anything. But the one thing about the Mata Joe is that um, there's a lot of fans that are in and around the area that have sort of adopted the club. And they come and they watch the training and they support the club during the season. And they might not be, you know, so intimate like a lot of the Napoli fans in and around Napoli. So I think maybe that has something to do with it because – Dude, whenever I would go to a game, there was always somebody around me that was just dogging Chucky the whole game. So I was curious to see what that was going to be like because the consensus is that he's going to be a regular starter. And there's, you know, there's some negativity about that. And I didn't notice it, but uh, I think I need to wait for Castel Di Sangro, where most of the fans there are going to actually be from Napoli to see what kind of reception he gets. Now, he. He hasn't looked his best. Um, I think him and Victor are not really on the same page now. But Victor is saying something. You know, Ozyman is actually, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, this is where the ball needs to go. Or, hey, why weren't you in that? I see them talking to each other. At least Victor talking to him more so than Chucky. But I think that Casa de Sangro will really open up some of that kind of stuff on how the fans are feeling towards maybe some players like Chucky that there's some negativity around still, but Hey dude, if Laudintis doesn't show his face in Castel de Sangro, the protesting I think is going to get close to being out of control because most of those fans there are from Napoli. There's going to be passion there and emotion going on and he needs to figure something out. And I think that the sooner, the better that he addresses the fans. They, they got a few days before they get moving on to the Castle de Sangre. I think they got about like a three day break or something like that. He needs to get with his PR dudes, man, and figure out what they need to do because that stuff definitely needs to be addressed. 
Yeah, I have a feeling he's waiting to sign a player, another player or two, and that might de-escalate the situation a little bit. So if they, let's say they sold Patania to Monza and signed Giovanni Simeone, that'll help if they sign Kim Min-jae to replace Koulibaly. I think that'll help. I have a feeling that's why he's locked himself up. He's just waiting for that to take a little pressure off himself. On Lozano, I wonder if fans are giving Lozano a little bit extra support because they know he's likely to be the starting winger this season with all the talks about Politano potentially being sold, which we'll come to in a second. That could be a reason why he might be getting support. But as you said, it it's almost like a bit more of a casual fan who are, they're just happy to see any Napoli players just because it's mm-hmm. not, not something they get to see all that often. On the point about Osiman speaking to Lozano, I think that's a great sign. I think that's the whole point of these friendly matches, these training sessions, right? Like, work out those kinks, get on the same page now so that when the season starts, you guys have that chemistry, you know what to expect from each other. I don't know about you, but I feel like these friendly matches are really more like two 45-minute friendlies as opposed to one 90-minute friendly because the the squad changes so drastically at halftime. So... (laughs) For the, the friendly against Basa Nauna, we had two sort of evenly balanced squads in each half. They were kind of mixed and matched. Whereas Spalletti for this match started Meretin goal, Rachmani and Jesus at center back, Marirui left back, Di Lorenzo at right back, Lobotka as the regista with Angisa and Fabian in the midfield, Kvaretschelia on the left, Lozano on the right, and Osman at striker. Given Oliveira's injury, his knee injury that he's kind of nursing back to 100%, and the fact that we haven't signed too many players yet, would you say that that was our strongest 11 at that point in time? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like the the, the starting 11 that came out in the first half, yeah, out of all the players that are available, for sure, because you know, I, I do think that Cavada is going to be the regular starter at the beginning of the season. There's just so much potential to tap into there. And his aggressiveness and his his approach towards who's ever trying to man him up, we need players like that. We need players that aren't scared in it and all that, right? So I think he will be the regular starter. I was wondering about in the second half, why Gaetano didn't get in there. Do you know if Gaetano's got a little bit of a knock or something right now? Not that I'm aware of. And I think Spalletti may have answered some questions with who he played and and who he substituted. Because to me, guys that are not even getting a full half in a friendly match are probably not going to make this team. And Ah. (laughs) I know. So I think that means... You know, maybe Zerbin has a chance, but even he only came off the bench in the second yeah. half. I think for sure Ambrosino's not going to be on the team. I think he's not quite ready yet. And Gaetano may be in the same boat as Zerbin, which would be unfortunate. I would have liked to see at least one of them make the squad just ah. because there's room in the squad. Like we have guys. Yes. I mean, Ambrosino could, I believe, play another season with the Primavera, which may be an option because then you can call him up at any time. Let's say you got an injury or something. And, mm-hmm. and he still gets to play regularly. With Zerbin and Gaetano, I would have liked to see at least one of them as a club-raised player because they wouldn't take a spot away from anyone else. The only risk is that 
they may not play a whole lot. So that's the balancing act. Do you go for loaning them out to another SETI B club or a lower table SETI A club to get more experience and continue to develop? Or do you keep them and they get sort of sporadic playing time? You mentioned Quadraselia. He scored again. He scored a beautiful goal. One of the four that we scored, Angisa, Petania, and Politano scored the other ones. How impressed have you been with his play over these first two friendlies? You know, I watched him quite a little bit in the uh, the scrimmaging that they were doing versus each other in the uh, the training session the day before. And, oh, man. So he's got some special ability with his feet. One of the other things that I noticed mostly in the scrimmage is that his vision seems to be really good too. Like he seems to know where to go in different spots on that side of the pitch. And when he ventures over a little bit to the middle, he doesn't seem to be lost or anything. I, I really like that about him. You know, in the Perugia match, that goal was awesome. The combination especially, but throughout the rest of the match, his man and even got uh, dispossessed a couple times. And I don't think that that's a concern. I think that he's going to he's going to learn how the defending is in Italy a little bit more. You know, Perugia's a Serie B team, you know, but Serie B teams are good when it comes tactically on the defensive side of the ball. The defense and the way that they set up and how they're aggressive, it's about the same in Serie A. You just got more quality in Serie A. So I'm not concerned at all. I think that he's going to learn how to deal with that. And the fact that you can tell that he and Ozyman are linking up already and even some of the midfielders are linking up with him well, I think that that bodes really good for the entire front line because if they're linking up really good and Lozano gets free because a lot of the defenders are switching over to that side and Lozano is free, Lozano, man, the one thing I love about him is how he can advance the ball up the field and cross it back in into front of goal. And one of the things that we're missing is a trailing player. You know, with all these combinations and the different crosses that can come in, especially for Ozyman, we need to find another player like the Hamsik used to do when he would trail behind that attacking play and pounce on the ball. I'm hoping that Spalletti is looking at that because we haven't really had that in the last few years. And I think that would make a lot of difference in just scoring goals, you know what I mean? So we'll see what happens with that. I think Laboka definitely has that ability to be that type of dude. I know he plays back a little more too, so he would have to move a lot more up and down. I'm not confident in Fabian doing that because he doesn't seem to be very, very good right in front of goal. And then Zombo, whatever it is with him and his – like I think it's a mental thing with him. I think he has the ability – but I think once he gets to the moment where he's got a shot on goal, like he kind of hesitates. And I think we need that. What do you think about that, Joe, about having that trailing player that can pounce on those balls? Like when Lozano gets that cross in and Ozyman overruns it or it wasn't where it needed to be, if there's another player that's ready to bounce on it, I think that can make a difference. Yeah, I think the three guys you mentioned, I don't think any of them are it. I think... Fabian is probably supposed to be that guy, but other than that sort of curling shot when he cuts in 
to his left from the edge of the area or just outside the area. He doesn't provide a whole lot of that. I think Zielinski can be that guy. And we've seen oh, him Zielinski, score. yeah. Yes. But, oh, shit, man. I forgot about Zielinski. <laughs> yeah, man, that could be the dude. Yes. Yeah, it just depends on whether he's going to play regularly or not. Because in a 4-3-3, yeah. which seems like the formation Spalletti wants to go with, I mean, it's very early. That could change. But in a 4-3-3, you don't really have that great of... Maybe you can play him, Zielinski, over one of Fabiano and Gisa. And, and maybe that'll be a, just a tactical decision based on the opponent. Going back to Kavada, he now has three goals over those two matches. So he's looking good. And that was a beautiful team goal as well. It wasn't just the give and go between Kavada and Osiman. You know, there was an attempt at a tackle, sort of a failed tackle on Osiman around midfield. But if you exclude that because he got the ball back, we completed something like 17 passes in the buildup. And it started with Lobotka tracking back and winning the ball. And that's something that for me, Lobotka's value is really in that middle third of the pitch, or even in our own third. Like, he didn't really shine a whole lot in the Anaune match just because the ball was just in there half the whole match. So there's not a whole lot for him to do there. But we saw in this match, on a couple of occasions, there was another play yes. where he tracked back to cover for Di Lorenzo, who had pushed up to join the attack, and Perugia switched the ball to the left side of the area, and it was Lobotka who ran over and cleared the danger, and then he won a foul sort of in the corner near our own corner flag. So to me, I think Lobotka is more of a, a defensive player and, and a, a ball mover and someone who could turn the ball in our own half and get out of sort of a tight space. On Cavada, I agree with you that he does seem to take on players maybe a little bit too often, but I don't mind it also because... I mean, it's also a sign of confidence, right? So, yes. again, when it works, it looks amazing because it did work. Mm. He drew a yellow card where he just totally destroyed a guy with a step over and and ended up drawing the yellow card. So, I'm okay with that. I also noticed that, I don't know if you saw this as well, but I noticed that he was roaming around a little bit. He would show up in the middle of the park. Yep. At some points, yep. he would even yep. pop up on the right side. So, yep. Yep. I wonder if that's something they've talked about as well, giving him that freedom to roam around the park a little bit. You mentioned Politano and Lozano. Even though I know Lozano's probably going to be the preferred option, I thought Politano looked a lot better in both matches. He looks very explosive. Then, barring a possible sale... Do you think Politano could win that starting role back? No, no. I think there's almost zero chance of it. And unfortunately, the biggest reason that I think that is that ADL wants his value to go up, right? So no matter what people think about how Spalletti makes decisions, he's influenced by what ADL wants when it comes to the current state of the club and the future prospects of you know especially with something like Lozano that's made it clear that he wants to move on from Napoli right so I think that's the number one reason that Lozano starts is the regular starter the other thing that I think that you know limits Politano is that he cannot play on the left I mean he he absolutely cannot play over there and Lozano can so you know if Cavada is you know not in form, or he's got a little bit of a knock. Lozano has shown that he can move from one side to the other and not really miss a beat. So I think that's important, too, that he's able to do that. It would be nice if we had one other winger that is that versatile 
And I think Delafeo would be a great signing because I think he can play on either side. Am I right? Yeah, he seems to be a pretty flexible player. I think he tends to play more centrally or more towards the right side, but that's probably good to have anyways because, like you said, Lozano can play on both sides. Zerbin is another guy. If we keep him, he can play on both sides as well. But, I, you know, when you have a guy like Lozano that's flexible, you can always move him over and put Delafeo or Politano on the right. Politano's agent, Mario Giuffredi, was at Di Mauro on Friday, and then he spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss the following day, and he said that Matteo's chances of staying or leaving are 50-50. So I think that's going to factor into Spalletti's decision-making as well. And we saw in the first press conference at Di Mauro, Spalletti mentioned that, specifically called out Politano and said, hey, he's the one that created this problem. He wants to leave. So, you know, it almost sounded like Spalletti was a little bit defensive about it because we all know that or at least the reports are that the reason Politano wants to leave is because he wants to be a regular starter and it's Spalletti that's picking the lineup. So it's, I think he got a little bit defensive about that. And then Juntoli has said a couple of times as well now that if players want to leave, they need to bring offers to the club. So that for me is the main reason why I think Lozano will be the first choice. But I, I think you make a fantastic point on De Laurentiis trying to get Lozano's value up so that he can sell him next year because like it or not, I think our strategy is back to develop players, increase their value, and then flip them for a capital gain and reinvest in, in young players. And hopefully we can still manage to put out a squad that's competitive enough to compete for the Scudetto doing that, which we have done in the past. We just haven't gotten over that finish line. It seems that Spalletti is going with the 4-3-3. That may put and Gisa into a bit more of an attacking position. You mentioned that he sort of seems hesitant to shoot. Like, he's great on the ball in midfield. He's a great dribbler. He's a decent enough passer. Do you think he might be able to score some more goals if he's playing in a more attacking role in a 4-3-3? I don't know, man. I don't think so. I mean, if he could get over the, the mental hurdle that he seems to have, Maybe it takes that first goal, bro. I mean, maybe he needs to get that one goal out of his system to realize that he can offer that because it seems like technically he's able to do it. Like, uh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. That's a very good question. I think I'm with you, though. Like, I'm not expecting too many goals from Nguisa. The reason I I even mentioned it in the first place is because he scored in each of our friendlies, but – if you look at how those goals happened, I mean, the, the one against Anauna, it was, I mean, it was a volley, which is good, sort of into the ground and bounced up into the top corner, but he didn't really connect that well. It seemed like the ball was kind of going in slow motion and maybe a set, yeah, <laughs> goalkeeper might have stopped that one. And then the goal against Perugia, he had a header that was cleared off the line and he kind of mishit the rebound and it bounced around a little bit and found its way into the back of the goal. I do think, though, that he may be able to contribute some goals just from set pieces because the header on that play was actually a very good play. The way he outmuscled the defenders and won the ball and, and put the ball on target, it just so happened that there were like three defenders standing on the line. But, you know, maybe he might be able to contribute that way. But I tend to agree with your sort of hesitancy on it that I, I don't think Angisa is going to be uh, too big of a goal scorer. Was there anything else in the match that stood out to you? Um, so yeah, a couple things. You mentioned Lobota a little bit. I mean, there were moments I was sitting right in front 
of Lobotka and what he was doing a couple times. Man, dude, Lobotka looks good, bro. I mean, his ability to be able to get underneath the defender in a way and to keep his balance and get the ball out of that area and get it up the field is really impressive. And then Mario Rui, bro. Dude, man, Mario Rui, I bet he said something to Olivetti in the locker room. Hey, man, you ain't just taking the starting spot for me. You see me out here? I ain't about just to give this shit to you, man. Mario Rui, it looks as aggressive and as motivated as he ever has. And the fans are behind him. So I really love that because I want Oliveira to work his ass off. And he's got a ton more ability than Mario Rui has, but he needs to work for it. He can't relax and sit back and like, oh, I'm the new signing. I'm the big, strong, physical, fast guy. And they're just going to start me. No, man, you need to work for that spot because Mario Rui is not going to give it up. So Mario Rui looked really, really good, really, really aggressive. Laboka looked like he's ready for the first match already. Victor, from an athletic standpoint, looks just like he always has. Ah, man, I hate to say it, bro, but Medit just Medit doesn't look confident, man. So I was paying attention quite a little bit to Medit and just the way that he was sending off that communication, even the nonverbal communication. It's the same Medit. It's the same guy, man. I'm, I'm concerned about our goalie. I really am, especially if he makes a really bad mistake like he did for Zempoli. I'm concerned, like, not like a mental breakdown, but at least a, a dip in his confidence. I mean, maybe what he needs is he needs a really, really good game and a shutout and some really, really good saves to get his confidence up, but I'm not expecting it to happen. So if I had a real concern right now, with the players that I know are going to start, he's probably my biggest concern. Yeah, and I think everyone kind of is sensing that right now because there is this general feeling amongst Napoli fans that a general uneasiness with Medet being the starting goalkeeper. And again, going back to my comment earlier about finding another keeper as good as Medet, maybe there's that same uneasiness within the squad. On Mario Rui, I think that Oliveira signing could be good for both players because as you've alluded to, that creates a little healthy competition within the team. And I think it could elevate the play of both of those players, which is great for us, especially competing in two competitions. And we're not in the Europa League this year where you can just play your B team. We're in the Champions yeah. this year, so you need two really good squads if you want to be able to get to the end of the season. One other player that stood out to me, and I'm sure you would agree with this as well, is Giovanni Di Lorenzo. And I don't know if giving him the captain's armband gave him even more confidence, but I I thought he looked really, really good. He was all over the place, joining the attack a lot, which is good to see. I think he contributes more to the attack on the right side than Mario Rui does on the left. And a lot of people might criticize Mario Rui for that. I'm generally okay with it only because you don't want both of your fullbacks pushing up at the same time. Usually what you do is... If one pushes up, and it's usually Di Lorenzo, then the other one drops a little bit, so you maintain three at the back until someone can drop in cover. And again, if we want to 
put more attacking on the left, then we can bring Olivera in off the bench. Okay, that will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about the Conferenza Stampa with Cristiano Giuntoli on Monday. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. So let's close the podcast with Giuntoli's press conference on Monday. In truth, it wasn't exactly the most informative press conference of all time, but (laughs) I think we can use it to address some of the bigger stories as they pertain to the transfer market. And the big story, of course, was Paolo Dybala joining Roma, which I don't think is official yet, but I think we all know it's going to happen. How do you feel about Napoli missing out on Dybala? So I was never sold on Dybala from the get-go. When when the rumors started, I think that he has the talent to create excitement, you know, and the fact that he's from Argentina, those type of things, I, I think from an emotional standpoint, can get people excited, but he's super injury prone, like really bad. It's not just, oh, you know, he gets a knock and he's out a game or two. No, man, he gets injuries where he's out for a long time, comes back, he's not in form. I don't think he's got that work ethic to keep himself in shape. And, you know, our medical staff, <laughs> I mean, just look at the history over the last few years with the medical staff. So I was never sold on Dybala as being a good signing. But the one thing that makes me upset about that whole story is who he went to. So he went to, you know, an arch rival. He went to a team that's not playing in Champions League. And he went to a team that I think a lot of people are looking at as having serious aspirations to do something special. So if Dybala wasn't willing to come to Napoli, what's the reason? Is it the project? Does he feel like the aspirations aren't what they need to be? That's my concern. Is that that seems to be that there's, there's an underlying reason why he ended up picking Roma, who's not playing in the Champions League. Vice Napoli. So when Juntoli was asked about Dybala, he said, over time, the opportunity arose. He said they spoke to Dybala's agents and understood that Dybala was not an opportunity for Napoli and Napoli were not an opportunity for Dybala. And I think that's just a cryptic way of saying that we weren't willing to offer Dybala what he was looking for. And I think I'm fine with that because I have an opinion on this notion that Dybala prefers Roma's project over Napoli. Now, I've been pretty clear in my opinion that Dybala has not been the right player for Napoli. I agree with you on that. And that doesn't mean, though, that he's not the right player for Roma. Maybe he is. I mean, the one benefit I could see of Napoli signing Dybala, as you said, is that it's a high-profile player. So it would have been a statement from the club after losing so many marquee players But he would have come at a high price and with a lot of risk. And as you said, that risk is associated with his track record of injuries. Now, this notion that Dybala prefers Roma's project over ours, people are drawing that conclusion from the reports that Roma offered him four and a half million euros a season, plus up to one and a half million euros in bonuses, whereas Napoli offered six million euros a season guaranteed, and he still chose Roma. Now, first of all, we don't know all the details of these offers. We don't even know if Napoli actually offered 6 million euros a season guaranteed. 
But even if they did, one of the key terms we don't know is the length of the contract that each club offered. So it makes it difficult to compare the two offers without knowing all the facts. It's also been reported that there is a 20 million euro buyout clause in the contract. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with how buyout clauses work, they effectively take a club's ability to block a sale of a player away, which means the player has most of the control. So for example, let's say PSG knocks on Roma's door next season and says, we'll pay that 20 million euro buyout clause. We have endless money. It doesn't mean anything to us. Then all they need to do is agree to a contract with Dybala and they can take the player. Now, I'm sure it's slightly more complicated than that, but that's basically how buyout clauses work. So if Dybala is insisting on such a low buyout clause, then what does that imply about his opinion of Roma's project? Maybe he really does like the project and he'll stay there longer, or maybe since no big offers came into him, this move is just to buy him time to get his value back up so that he can chase after or attract those other big offers that never came in. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the specific term that Napoli couldn't agree to. In fact, there are reports that Napoli wanted to insert a 40 million euro bio clause. So I think that was Napoli's way of protecting themselves against that risk. As Juntoli said in the press conference, Spalletti wants to play a 4-3-3 and Dybala would have distorted the coach's plan. Imagine we gave in to Dybala's demands. We changed our formation to a 3-5-2 so that we can fit Dybala into the system. Then we went out and bought more players to fit that formation or even a 3-4-1-2 or something with a two-man attack. So we have to go out and buy more players to make that new system work. And then next season, another club like PSG swoops in and takes Dybala away from us. That could have some pretty serious short-term consequences because you just changed your system to suit one player. So I don't blame Napoli too much for passing on the opportunity. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Roma do have a really good project under the Friedkins. They're spending a ton of money. They got Mourinho, who's a big profile coach. They're getting rid of all these deadweight contracts. They just won a cup. Yes, I know it's the conference league and whatever. But they're building towards something very positive there. But when we talk about projects, what we're really saying is who has the best chance of winning trophies in Serie A and maybe even in Europe, which right now it seems like no Serie A teams have chances of winning anything in Europe. But that's what we're talking about with these projects. A project is something that gets you to an end goal, which is a trophy. Surely, if that's what Dybala was interested in, then he would have just stayed at Juventus. Dybala thought he was going to get 10 million euros a season on the open market and it backfired on him. So he's making a decision that's best for Paolo Dybala and his future and not what's best for the club that he chooses. In other words, the decision has nothing to do with Napoli's project and everything to do with Paolo Dybala's project, or at least (laughs) that's my Mm -hmm. opinion of that whole situation. Now, the other big story from Monday was the announcement of Leo Ostegaard. You know, we've known about Ostegaard for a while now. How do you feel about this signing? I don't know. He seems to have some grit behind him, so I'm happy about that. But uh, I I don't really know enough about him, and I haven't really seen him in action to really see what he offers. And, you know, one thing, man, Juan Jesus – Looks like he's in really good shape. It looks like he's slimmed down a little bit. 
and he's moving around a little bit more nimble. So that was a good sign too. I forgot to mention that. Um, I really liked the way that he looked. And if Ostergaard can just add to the toughness of the defense in general, I think that's a good thing. But uh, I, I don't think that he's a signing to get all excited about. I just think he's another player to add for depth, which is needed, right? We need depth. So I think it's a good signing, but nothing that is convincing that that's a signing that we need to compete for the Scudetto. We got a lot of work to do in that department. Absolutely. I think, I mean, it's a good signing for a fourth center back because he's young. I think from at least what we saw at Genoa last season, I agree. He has that grinta. He's a tough guy. He maybe has the potential to one day become a starting player, but yeah, it's not the solution. It's certainly not the replacement for Koulibaly. Now, I do like his personality as well. I think he said a lot of the right things in his interview. He said, you know, it was a dream to play for Napoli. He said he's waited a long time because he only wanted to play for Napoli. And this seems to be a bit of a theme with these press conferences. We don't want players who don't want to play for us. We want players who do want to play for us. And I mean, how can you argue with that? He said his target is to win. He said Napoli is a huge club and it's a club that should win titles. So I like that kind of winning mentality. And he said, you know, he really enjoyed playing in front of what he called good fans at the Maradona because we played Genoa for Insigne's farewell match at the Maradona. So he was there for that and he got to experience what... I mean, I don't think we've had a real Napoli-San Paolo crowd in a while uh, i think the the energy has come down a little bit and the fans are changing and but i think that game for insignia's farewell match was probably one of the better crowds so he got to experience that he knows what that's like and then there were a few funny moments in the conference as well i think it was carlo alvino who asked him you know who was the most difficult attacking player that you've played against in Serie A last season and his answer was victor osiman so that was a, a nice little moment <laughs> Um, and and they also asked them, you know, who was your your idol? And he said Fabio Cannavaro. So again, a, you know, a Napolitan player. It was funny because Lombardo was with him doing the press conference, and and Lombardo kind of leaned over and said, "No, no, not Fabio, uh, Paolo, Paolo." And he's like, "Yeah, Paolo too, but no, Fabio was my idol." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I didn't. I'll be honest with you, Joe. I haven't, I haven't actually gotten to read anything or listen to any of the press conference, so. This is the first time I'm hearing that, and wow, man, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds I, like we have a, a like a fan that uh, is really living out his dream that you know is idolize a team. So I like that, man. That's 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 awesome. Yeah, I recommend go check it out. I think Calcionapoli 24 has it on their YouTube channel. It's and it's short too. I think it was. They did about 15 minutes with Juntoli and then about 15 minutes when they... Because it was kind of unplanned. They just decided, oh, let's bring him out. They brought him out for for that conference before they even officially announced they had signed them. <laughs> so I guess they, <laughs> they knew they were going to do it anyways. But it was it was a fun little conference. I got I got good sort of good vibes, positive vibes from that press conference. And, and then even actually, I don't know if you saw this, you probably did, but Erling Haaland commented on... Yeah. Um, when the club officially announced it, he said, take care of him. He's a top guy. So good signs for most of the guard, but I agree. There's still plenty of work to do. Dan, that's all we have time for today. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to Castle de Sangro uh, just to see how they look in that last friendly before they actually really start getting prepared for that first game. One of the things that 
I have to admit I'm a little bit concerned about is the beginning of the, not really the beginning, like the first half of the season. If you've had a chance to look at the schedule, <laughs> every home game until they play Juve in January needs to be three points. Like every team they play, none of them are a top seven team. They're all middle table or lower teams. So I'm concerned about that because if they come out and say, don't win that first few games or they lose one or they're tying a couple, if they don't, I really think that they got to go on a home winning streak so that they can put last year's bad performances at home behind them. And if they don't, watch out. Yeah, watch I, out with what's going to be going on at the stadio with the protesting. And, man, I, oh God, I hope that doesn't happen, man, because that would be a disastrous start to the first half of the season if they don't get maximum points versus all those mid-table to lower lower-table clubs. Yeah, it's it's kind of a difficult schedule in two ways because one, like you said, we need to be a lot better at home this season than we were last season. And what's implied by the fact that we play all bottom half table teams at home in the first half of the season is that we play all the top half table of the teams yeah. away in the first half of the season, which makes those fixtures even more difficult. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Castel di Sangro as well. We're actually going to play a friendly against Adana Demispor, which is Gohan Inler's team. So we're going to play against Inler. And he actually commented, because it's a Turkish team, he has some familiarity with Kim Min Jae, and he described them as a lion. So I think hopefully we yeah. can hopefully you can sign up Kim Min Jae. He's also got all kinds of tattoos, so he's he seems like you know he's a good fit for Napoli. That's where we're going to wrap it up. Dan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. I know it's been a long day for you. Hey, no problem, Joe. It's always a, it's always a blast being on your show. I really appreciate you letting me come on. Oh, it's my pleasure. You can find Dan on Twitter at Azuro Bowen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoli Pod. I'll be back with another episode soon. I'm hoping to get a guest on so we can learn a little bit more about Leo Ostegard. So stay tuned for that. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti at Forza Napoli Sempre. Podcast Network.